Episode 113 of the Modern Genre Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about how to break up your ride cymbal pattern when you're playing jazz swing time. Our featured artist this time is the Nationals Brian Devendorf. In our gear review section, I'll be checking out the Drum Supply 14x5 Aluminum Snare Drum. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Man, I mean... The pipes are strong, buddy. Pipes are strong. I feel See, like you've been talking a lot, so here we go, another hour yeah. straight. <laughs> yeah, and then I just and then I get to teach for a quick nine hours. Shouldn't be bad. I feel I feel quite confident in uh, in this situation. So I'm um, in the middle of my last camp, and uh, <clears throat> in the middle of my last camp. <laughs> By the way, uh, listeners, you're going to hear a lot of dead space in this recording. Every time you hear some awkward silence, that's me cutting out myself clearing my throat so there you go yeah I, I lost my voice on like day two of this camp and i was like come on and this is the last camp of the year i want to give it everything i have and i want to make sure like that all eight campers are getting the vibe that i'm stoked to be here because i am and uh They're getting all the I'm words whispering. man all the words <laughs> yeah instead i'm sitting there going like guys i just couldn't be more pleased to be here um, I'm, man i'm happy wow happy 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 NPR so anyways camp. <laughs> Exactly. But everything other than that is awesome. And uh, episode 113, you yep. said that we got close to 750,000 downloads now? Yeah, three quarters of a million this week. Thanks, everyone, for Can we just thank you? Thank you guys Insane. so much. That is awesome. Yeah, we I, we know we kind of passed through our two year anniversary without any kind of fanfare, but fanfare. <laughs> yeah, in two years, a drum podcast, three quarters of a million, I think, and with zero promotion, really. Zero. I mean, yeah. Well, I want to say too that I, I don't think I'll ever be comfortable using the word anniversary with you. Like, <laughs> I love you. Like you're a cool cat, but I'm. It's just let's just call it like our two year bash. Can we call it that? Um, I mean, but birthday? no, it's cool, man. It's Second it's birthday? been a fun two years, and I've, I've learned so much from this podcast. That's really something that was a byproduct that you and I I don't think we're planning on in the beginning. We felt like we were going to be giving out all this information and letting people hang with our drum talks, but I wasn't ready for how many of these conversations would lead down a path that I hadn't quite discovered myself yet or hadn't explored as much as maybe I thought I had. Yeah, I agree. I think it's been it's been a good. I mean, I've never been to therapy, but it feels like ther- drum therapy. You know, like what have I? <laughs> I totally. What agree. Can, I, can I? What can I admit to everyone in the world that I suck at this week and see if right? I can get better at it? <laughs> you know? Man, I feel the exact same way, and I feel like. Maybe that's why this podcast has become something that some you know people like to listen to is because it gives the people that have maybe only been playing for five or ten years and also the people that have been playing their whole lives a chance to go like, okay, so these two guys in the industry, they go through the exact same thing I go through. And it's like, yeah, every day, man. Yeah, and just admitting the fact that we're none of us have it figured out is really important. <laughs> you know, do you think maybe that's for the people that have stuck with this instrument for their whole lives or haven't given up yet – do you think maybe that's part of the appeal is knowing that you're never going to figure it out so you never have to feel like you've accomplished everything? Like, yeah, you know, I, I always think, think so. like when Tom Brady wins his fourth Super Bowl, it's like, all right, I do it again next year. Yeah, but right. I never get that feeling of I do it again next year. It's like, no, like 
today will be a different drum day than any day of my entire life. Yeah, Michael Phelps never has to swim another lap in a pool for the rest of his life, and he's and he and should he's be like okay 11. with that. <laughs> he's like eleven. Like, dude, like that's a long life left to live. I want to know that. You know, I love seeing. I just saw. Uh, I didn't even get a chance to tell you. I went and saw Victor Wooten with Dennis Chambers. Oh wow, and, um, nice. Yeah, I went and saw them the other day, and it was brilliant. Um, so uh, Lou Montulli, the guy that did the Groove Scribe, yep. um, that's like our meeting place. It's kind of halfway in between both of our houses. So we went with a bunch of other people. Actually, went with another uh, podcast veteran with uh, Nick Ruffini. He's now in the Bay Area. Oh, cool. Um, so we met up with Nick, and, and we just had a great time. Everything was really cool. Um, but getting to see Dennis, I was thinking like, okay, he's got to be, I mean, I don't honestly know his age, but he has to be at least 10, 15 years older than me. So he has to be mid fifties or older. I would assume. Yeah. Um, I don't know for sure. He was a teenager when he was with parliament in the late seventies. So he's, he's, so, okay. So then he's, he's probably got to be about 15 years older than me yeah. at minimum. So I'm thinking the whole time I'm there, I'm not thinking Dennis is old. I'm thinking, sweet, I have 15 more years to get my ass in gear <laughs> right. and to really start taking this instrument seriously. <laughs> and I've been a professional since I was 21. <laughs> started teaching when I was 17. And I'm like, okay, now's the time, Johnston. Get off your rump and really start to care about this thing. <laughs> and uh, I really need to say something to you because I know you're a big Dennis fan, right? Oh, yeah. He was my hero from okay. sixth grade to college for sure. And he was never my hero. I, I had the same videos you did, and I just was like, yeah, it's it's cool, but it's it's not really my thing. Here's what I learned, and I the reason I'm bringing this up is I want to caution everyone else that might have fallen into the same trap as me. And it's, this could be with somebody other than Dennis Chambers. I've never seen Dennis play music ever. I've only seen him play drum solos in clinics. Yeah. I've been to like 10 of his clinics. I had no idea he was one of the best musicians on the planet. Yeah. The way he played with Victor changed my entire opinion of Dennis Chambers. Yeah. So yeah. if you've only seen Brian Blade in clinic or you've only seen uh, Dave King in clinic, make sure you see these guys in their bands because it's a very different situation. I mean, I literally was like, oh, Dennis Chambers is now one of my favorite drummers because I'd never seen him support another musician and and play with another musician and bring the best out. Of, I've seen Victor Wooten a ton of times with Dorico Watson, and that's actually my preferred thing to see Victor with. I love watching him play with Dorico, but to see Dennis pull things out of Victor that I've never seen Victor do, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I have a whole new respect for this man. So yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, he's, I, I was really lucky to see him almost monthly because he would play like the festivals around Baltimore and in Maryland. So I would I saw him with Paul Bullenbach and I was probably, I couldn't even drive yet. I was probably 14 and it was an outdoor concert. So it wasn't a drum thing. It was like a, a festival outside free for the public so there were you know people like playing volleyball and throwing frisbees while wow. they were ripping and and yeah you're right his instincts are are almost like it's almost telepathic the way he can kind of predict where it's going to go and his taste yeah. but also the intensity that does not translate the video i mean he he broke his ride cymbal stand not from crashing the ride but from just playing intense fast patterns on it it just fell apart it just snapped in half i mean it was insane (laughs) that's so cool man you know it was hilarious so the first song they come out everyone's freaking out they come out and uh and dennis grabs his hot rods and immediately lou goes "Ooh, i'm glad dawson's not here (laughs) 
Yeah, but like, he dude. can do it. He can do it. Exactly. Really well. I was like, Dennis with hot rods is like any of us with sticks. Like it's <laughs> gonna be awesome. And at some point, there will be one hot rod and one stick in his hand. And then at some point, there'll be two sticks in his hands. Just just hang in there. Uh, but we had an absolute blast, and it was really cool to finally. I mean, that's a great growing moment for me as a drummer to finally get a chance to see what everyone's been talking about. It's you know. Um, like I said, I've hell I've done drum festivals with Dennis Chambers. I'm yeah. not like a stranger to him. It's just I'd never seen him play in a band other than like, you know, in that video with uh, who's it with, with John McLaughlin Schofield actually Schofield. Sorry, with Sco, it's it's music, but it's also music meant for a drummer's video. Yeah, totally. It's a so different he's not thing. supporting. Yeah. right. And then to see him on Victor's gig, we're not at the Dennis Chambers show. We're at the Victor Wooten gig. It was just like, man, now I see the genius in this man. And it made me really want to stop listening to the drumming of Elvin Jones and start listening to the music that Elvin Jones was a part of right, and rediscover yeah. these people as musicians and stop thinking of them as drummers. So I, I, had, a, I had a great time. What's, uh, what's new with you, boss? Well, I did a, a, a live tracking session, which is so ironic to say how rare that is for me uh, anymore. Actually. When you say live tracking session, you mean you all tracked at the same time? Yeah, exactly. Guitar, bass, yeah. drums, vocals. Um, we all played in the room together. It wasn't overdubbed. It was Almost odd. like a band. Yeah, almost. Almost like <laughs> almost a Almost like musicians. But you know what? I, what I've realized is I... It's not actually something that Shannon Forrest talked. I know I mention Shannon Forrest every week. I apologize, but the guy's just great, and he's been a mentor, so I have to give him credit. But he he talked about how, and when he's in Nashville doing sessions with live rhythm sections, his time is flexible because he's doing what he needs to do to make everyone sound good. Mm. You know, like because okay. they're tracking live, he's adjusting his time a little bit so because he knows the acoustic guitar might push a little bit during certain sections. Right. But when he got with Toto, he said. All of that he had to he had to learn to let go of that because everyone in Toto's time is so great that he doesn't have to massage it. He can just play strong, steady time, which mm-hmm. for, which was funny because that was like something he had to learn to do, like not listen and not adjust, just play because right. everyone's already there. He doesn't have to be like empathetic and rush and drag a little bit to make it everyone sound good. But for me, I'd never get to track with other musicians, uh, so I'm really I feel really confident with a click track. With a scratch track that I know is not going to be the final, I can kind of keep it steady. But these guys were pushing and pulling, and it was, it was the end result for me was like I don't know if that's that solid. I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's the way to go. Mainly because I know that the bass is going to get replaced and the guitar is going to get replaced. So I Mm. couldn't, I couldn't switch in my mind like listen to them, but don't listen to them. You know, like I had, I couldn't not adjust to make it sound good in the room but then we were listening to playback i'm like damn the bridge slowed down like what happened it just it just pulled Uh back a little bit and then you start thinking you start psyching yourself out when they come to retract bass and guitars and i'm not here they're gonna blame me because all they'll have is a drum track that rushes and drags (laughs) but i was doing it because they were rushing and dragging i told that's that's the whole reason we re-recorded the man on the moon stuff was i said i'm gonna go in and just redo the drums i'm not happy with the tones and and the way it came out I come in and do it and I realize, oh crap, I can't re-record the drums because the track rushes and drags because we all played in the room together. I know. I don't remember where we rushed and dragged. So I had to record the drums by memory just to a click, this seven minute, you know, (laughs) wannabe Johnson fusion tracks, whatever the hell's going on. Um, And then we, and then the, like nothing fit with that. Then the guitar was like, I got to record to you now. That's the problem. So we retracked everything. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, 
So I learned that lesson from Shannon Forrest and then Steve Jordan, again, another guy that I taught, I mentioned way too much. But again, he was a mentor to me, so I have to have to share Steve the lessons. Steve Jordan can't be mentioned too much. It's just. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I've only got three or four drummers that I ever referenced, but these are the ones who really changed my, my everything. Right. I mean, huge. Sure. I owe them everything. But Steve, when I told him this process that I often do where I'm overdubbing drums and people are replacing parts and. He just looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, why in the hell would you ever do that? Like, you should be tracking to the final takes. If the bass player's there, he should be going for a final take. If the guitarist is there, he should be going for a final take. Because you yeah. end up just chasing your tail and you're losing the, the actual natural groove of what you played. But unfortunately, I'm not in a position where I get to do that. It's, you know, right. That's, yeah, I mean, that's what we works. learned as a band was okay, either we play in a room together and we're okay with the fact that this thing breathes, meaning it's not perfect, yeah. or we're going to have to track individually with scratch tracks and, and build it as a layered process. Um, so, you know, uh, it, it is, a, is a cool thing to start to learn the process of all this stuff. And I think we're in a world now where people are going to be asked to record on things and somebody's going to send them stems of tracks and then they're going to get so used to that like you said when they have to record live with a band it's a whole different animal yeah i mean you know? i should have I, sh- I, I knew exactly how this was going to go down but i just i didn't i knew that basically we were going for drum takes even though everyone right. else was there playing i should have turned everyone else down in my in-ears like super low so i could just kind of hear them enough but to keep track of where i was and just focus on the click but that's not the way I make music, you know. I'm, I feel like I'm a more empathetic player, where I want to kind of make everyone feel comfortable, and so I don't know what'll happen. It was still yeah, fun. Man. I think we got some good takes. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about like rushing like five BPM. It just, you could just feel it just pull back a little bit. Sure. I don't think it'll sound. You'll be able to hear it in the final version. But when we were just soloing the drums, it was like, oh god, shoot me. <laughs> yeah, the perfectionist in you. Well, the other thing too is. When you hear the final take, those are the things that if you think about it, when you and I were studying music growing up, we would obsess over how cool it was that it pulled back for this and yeah, it pushed right. for this fill going into the chorus because it wasn't quantized yet. So who knows how it'll come out, but uh, look forward to it. By the way, um, you know, I know you're a very modest person, but I'm sure our listeners would love to hear you play. So if there's ever anything that comes out that they can get, make sure you let them know about it. Yeah, um, sure. My, uh, my, 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 uh, original band here should be releasing its record. I mean, they keep pushing it back. I think they said November. I'm really excited about that. That's the one where I'm doing like hybrid cool. electronic and acoustic stuff. And nice. That's, that's so it feels cool. personal to you. Oh yeah. I mean, I, it's all the drum sounds are my creation. Everything is is cool. mine i didn't write the music but i you know I, sure sure so that is cool that'll be coming out in a couple of months so i'll we'll talk about that nice then. buddy and uh this it, this is on friday so the man on the moon stuff comes out on sunday the 15th nice so i'll make sure to let everybody know about that but just so you guys know you'll be able to get it wherever you want like itunes spotify and all that stuff so let's talk about something else get a little more business out of the way <clears throat> once i get that out of the way that silence was brought to you by chloroseptic um <laughs> So we had talked about doing a camp uh, in New York, upstate New York, at the, what is it, the Full Moon Resort? Full Moon Resort, right. So, uh, and that would be between myself, uh, Mike, and Carter McLean. Now, this camp, it's an all-inclusive place where you actually stay there, you eat there with us and everything, uh, every morning and night. And it's something that, because it's all-inclusive, it takes about 20 people at a minimum to make this camp happen. So it's not something that we can just schedule without knowing who's interested. So if you guys are interested in doing a camp with myself, 
uh, Mike and Carter McLean, please let us know by writing in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com and just title the subject Drum Camp. And really, honestly, guys, because we have to book this ahead of time and put our money up front to make this happen, please, you know, let us know that you're seriously interested. I'm, I'm assuming it would probably be a three-day camp. So you're looking at about five days, a day for arrival, then three full days of camp, and then a, a day for leaving and going back home. And uh, it's it's a pretty special place because you're out in the wilderness uh, you know, isolated. We don't have to deal with like, what should we do tonight? It's like, whatever we're going to do tonight, we're going to make it happen. We're going to have fun tonight. We're not going out to the clubs. Mm. Um, cause Mike and I go to the clear a lot, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, you, you don't have to worry. It's like, okay, well let's have a jam. And you know, this, this place can hold up to periphery did a camp there. And I think they had like 75 campers, so it can Goodness. hold a lot. And so what it would happen is if we're in that 20 to 25 or 30 range, we'll all stay together as a group. And myself, Mike and Carter will teach different classes throughout the day in a group setting. If we get up to 60 people that want to come, that's awesome as well. And then all that happens is myself, Mike and Carter would be in three different locations of this place and we would cycle 20 campers per class through. Um, so you'd be kind of switching teachers throughout the day, but no matter what, it's a really intimate environment that allows us to get to know each other. And then all of a sudden the teachers kind of, it, it, the, the lines are blurred because we get to hang out so much. You realize it's like, dude, we're all in this together. Let's just try to get better. So, so do we have, okay, let's, let's throw some extra details. What would they be expected to bring? Practice pads, sticks, whatever. All they would need is a pad, a stand, uh, we'll have chairs for them. So they just need sticks, a pad and a snare stand. And that's about it. Um, we would bring our own drum sets. Um, you and Carter can just travel with yours and then I'll, I'll just rent a Gretsch. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, so there'd be three drum sets there and then we'd be set and then they provide a PA and everything for us. So it's, it's a really cool place. And like I said, they also provide breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you don't have to worry about any food at all. Um, and as far as the accommodations, I'm pretty sure you can either request a room by yourself and that's one price. And then you can request to share a room as far as the overall cost of the camp. I honestly don't know until I speak to the resort. Um, so I will keep you guys posted, but for now, just assume, you know, they're, they're not the cheapest things in the world. This is all inclusive. So, um, but if you're interested, just send your uh, inquiry to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com and just title it Drum Camp and then just say, hey, my name is so and so. Here's my email address. And I am honestly quite interested. That way we can build a list and I can go to the resort and say, hey, we've already got 40 people that are interested. Let's book this thing. And we're thinking late winter? I think so, yeah. 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 So, um, so, so before my camp start and something that's not so wintry that I can't even fly in. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Cool. Just yeah. so you know, like I have one long sleeve shirt and I call it my jacket. So <laughs> yeah, it needs to be a little bit flexible for my California skin. <laughs> oh man. You know what? I mean, not to be the downer, but how is the situation near you with the fires and stuff? It's rough. Is um, it? yesterday. Yeah. Um, do you know Tommy Ricard? Yeah. So Tommy's like one of the subs for me, and he's just a fantastic drummer. His parents lost their home oh, uh, completely, and they live in a in a. It's you know it's one of those things that we call like a sleepy village where it's just protected by forest everywhere, and there's just some beautiful beautiful homes that don't have to deal with suburbs, and they're you know it's kind of upstate New York vibe, yeah. and just just wiped out, decimated. So, um, 
I'm kind of waiting to see what the fallout is with the Mike's Lessons family. I know Tommy's parents were affected, but I don't want to start a campaign until I know who was all affected. But once I know who was affected and whose parents and family were affected, then we'll probably start a Mike's Lessons uh, fundraiser of some sort, yeah. uh, depending on the situation, so that we can give back to the people that have been supporting us. So it's been tough. Yesterday was it made it real where I live. No problems at all. We have we're not even close to any of this stuff. But what was tough yesterday was we couldn't forget it because the winds finally blew all of the smoke into Folsom, mm. and you you couldn't even it, it was like fog. I mean, you could barely see, and and all you could do is smell fires. And it was, it's you know, it's not a it's not a good smell when you know what what it's doing to people. Yeah, so. that's crazy. Well, I'll keep my ear out for any kind of you know federal or state kind of plans that we can share info as well. It's pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, it's just been a rough year for natural disasters. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, Man. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get through it. But uh, you know, I, I honestly, in California, fires unfortunately are quite common. So most people do opt for the fire insurance. Um, mm. you know, my mom's my mom's home burned down not because of natural fires, but burned down when I was uh, eighteen. And so you know, having insurance is pretty common in uh, California, just because you know that it's a you know, like having tornado insurance in the Midwest. You just kind of know it's a possibility. So, uh, but we hope everyone that's been affected. uh, We hope you guys are safe and uh, when you're starting to put your life back together, and you know, you start to think like, geez. I forgot that my drums were decimated. I forgot that I don't even own sticks anymore. Don't don't hesitate to reach out. Um, you can hit up amber at mikeslessons.com. Let us know what's going on, and, and we'll do anything we can to help. So, all righty. Well, now let's talk about something upbeat, like an upbeat ride symbol pattern. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> Bro, I'm trying, man. I don't have a voice. I don't know how to segue from, like, fires that ruin people's lives into, like, breaking up the ride symbol pattern. But... Uh, it is an important topic because when I was taught how to play jazz ride in junior high, I was definitely not made aware that I was allowed to break the rules. Mm-hmm. It had to be this pattern. And as soon as I stopped that pattern for one second, I was in trouble by the band director. This isn't a drum teacher. This is a band director that needs dang, 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 dang. Yep. So then when people said, oh, I love how Tony breaks up the ride symbol pattern, I'm like, well, that's illegal. Didn't his band director get mad at him? <laughs> I don't know who Tony is, but it seems like it. So let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's, it's a touchy subject because I think if you can't play the ride symbol pattern in the traditional pattern for 15 minutes straight and have complete independence with your left hand and bass drum, then you probably have no business breaking up the ride pattern. And, and Agreed. I also think that there's a difference between knowing how and why to break up the ride pattern versus flipping the beat and just being backwards. I mean, that's that mm. happens to young young players. I hear that all the time in big band, and they just end up flipping the beat and don't even realize it. That's right. you know, obviously, that's not what you should do. And I would assume that's what right. most band directors are trying to avoid: is keep track of the yeah. two and four, don't let it flip, even though we're playing at 180 BPM now or something. Yeah, and that ride symbol pattern at that moment is actually helping out those musicians that are subconsciously singing that rhythm, and that's what's giving them their swing. Is they're hearing this ding, ding, da, ding, ding, which makes all of their notes go ba, ba, da, 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 da. Yeah, exactly. And when you're playing with a big band, it's I think it's it's risky to start breaking up the time and breaking up the ride right. pattern because you've got you know 17 other musicians on stage with you. And you, right. you flip the beat on them, and they're going to come in the wrong spot, and that's your fault because you're the one that's supposed to hold it all together. Especially uh, when they're 12. Yeah, when they're 12. So <laughs> we're talking about, I mean, Mel Lewis and some guys have done it in big band, and of course, obviously the, the more modern big band players do it. 
but we're talking about small group jazz, bebop, yeah. post-bop. Because even in the early days of, of bebop, it was you didn't really vary. Max Roach didn't vary up the ride cymbal too much. It was pretty much the swing pattern. Uh, so I think that's the caveat. You got to spend a good fair number of years just being able to swing the ride pattern at you know a lot of different tempos and not drop the beat. Um, yeah. Before you even begin to consider when to break it up. Uh, so we have an article in the November issue by our man Joel Rothman, who at some point we should talk about Joel Rothman. I mean, who is this guy? <laughs> he's dude. He's he's behind the scenes, man. Right. He's, he's been our publishing forever. And actually a a backstory, uh Modern Drummer's founder, Ron Spagnardi, had his first book published via Joel Rothman's company before Modern really? Drummer existed. Yeah. This guy's been oh, awesome. an icon, kind of a an enigmatic icon of the drum industry for you know forty plus years. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, man. I taught out of his book yesterday. I was showing Lou, one of the campers, some six eight grooves, and I and I just pulled out his book because basic drumming has this huge section of six eight stuff. Yeah. And Lou goes, "Bro, you should take a picture of that book and send it to Joel because there's no cover. It's this. I've had this book for like ten years. No, no, like twenty years, and I just won't let it go. Even though I could just go down and buy a new one for nine bucks. It's like, yeah. oh man, this thing's." It's, it looks like it's been with me. So he'd anyway, probably send it to you because he's he's really good about sending drum teachers copies to use with his students. I think that's kind of been his business model and it's worked for him. He just he sends books to teachers and then he's expecting that then the students will buy the books. The students will get it. Yeah. yeah. So that's anyway, good. he wrote a piece. He lives in England now. He used to be in New York, but now he's in England. But he wrote a piece called "Embellished Jazz Time." Now his approach, which I I think is maybe four or five steps ahead of you know going from playing spang spang a lang to breaking it up i think he jumped ahead so i want to fill in the gaps as well but sure in his article he starts talking about using triplet stickings to break up the ride cymbal paradiddles oh, wow. double paradiddles double strokes which is a i think is a good nice. tactic you know if you think just get get triplets rolling in your head and then what are the stickings that you can use that imply the swing pattern but maybe aren't exactly replicating it um, right. the double paradiddle is a good one that's like a whole measure pattern that that kind of fits pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Even just a double stroke, that's something that a lot of the bebop guys did. They just would play double strokes as triplets, so it creates like a a hemiola. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, cool stuff. So he's got a ton of exercises in this article, so you can check that out. But I want to step back and and reference, which might have been my pick of the week early on. Ian Froman did a video series. I remember that. Yeah, on Vic first page. So, and this was the early days of YouTube, so it was like, unfortunately, they're kind of low quality, but they're still there, and the content is amazing. So if you, you know, just just search Ian Froman, Vic Firth on YouTube, and you'll find he did like five of them. Um, and he's also avail- He's also one of the best uh, drum teachers that, that I think is around. So if you're looking to really get deep mm. into modern jazz drumming, look him up. He's, he's a beast. Not only is he an amazing player, he kind of has a Jack DeJunette kind of style but he can teach it too which is kind of rare to be able to really teach this stuff for sure so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna kind of give you a a, a cliff notes versions of his lessons so the first thing he says to do to break up the ride is just add quarter notes at some point within the pattern Mm -hmm. so just repeat you know get rid of a skip note on two and four every other bar or something that's immediately going to make your phrasing sound more interesting and less predictable 
Well, and I, you know, on a practical application physically, I actually have to do that if I'm playing in that kind of 300 range. I can't keep the ride the whole time. Yeah, take a break. So, yeah, ding, 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 you know. And it's it's more for like physical need, and then it creates this hip ride pattern. So it has multiple applications. So that's I think that's step one, and that's still which is what he emphasizes. You're still keeping track of the the two and four. You're not losing the two and four. You're not just randomly changing the pattern. So you're still kind of locked to the traditional swing pattern, but you're just giving, making the phrase a little bit longer. It could be a one-bar phrase if you just play quarter notes of one, two, and three, and then add the skip pattern on four. Uh, so that's the first approach that he, he mentions, and I, I know that's what a lot of guys do. That's kind of Tony Williams does that a lot too. When he's here is up-tempo stuff, he's playing a lot of quarter notes and just adding skip notes every other bar or something. So that would be like step one. Step two would be, which I think is more... Um, Getting a little more contemporary, a little more risky for losing the beat is to add a tie note. So, okay, you instead of playing one, two, a three, you play one, Stop two, on uh, and then resume mm-hmm. on four. Yeah. So again, that kind of gives you and more then air. Would you say if you were doing that? <clears throat> excuse me. If you're doing that, you're not emphasizing the uh like with a bass drum. It's not a crash. No, it's actually a ride symbol pattern. No, uh, yeah, I suggest, which I know a lot of guys would just suggest, is practicing the ride symbol by itself, no other instruments. Gotcha. Just, just okay. practice the ride symbol because really everything kind of sits under that. So you would just play your normal pattern and just just tie the uh of two or the uh of four to the next quarter note and then resume. And again, you're still a lot still, of space for the un- inexperienced drummer. Man. <laughs> exactly, that's where it gets <laughs> risky because you start losing track of where you are. Uh, so it's important to count, but again, you're not yeah. you're not completely abandoning the the ride pattern. It's not random. You're not sounding like you're just playing anything that comes to mind. You're not right. You know, you're still kind of respecting the two and four essentially. Got it. So then you do both. You combine both. So you do quarter notes, and then you can do tie notes, and then it really starts to be it starts to sound unpredictable, but you're still not completely abandoning the ride pattern. Right. I think that's kind of. As far as I would take it, the next step that I think he talks about is is flipping it. So putting the skip note on one and three occasionally. Right. You have to be real careful with that. And and I would say spend some time with steps one and two first for a long, long yeah. time. <laughs> you know what's, <clears throat> what's funny about that too is with this stuff, depending on who you're playing with and how well you know them, how frustrated they can get when you're trying this stuff out – when they don't know you and they don't respect you. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Like if, if you go in and there's this, you know, 80 year old saxophone player that just wants to play this nice swing tune and you're over there working on your ride cymbal patterns, <laughs> right. yeah. it's going to be pretty pissed off, you know? Yeah. You kind of, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be empathetic of who you're playing with. And it's kind of a, for me, it's a, an intuition like, okay, I can tell he wants to mix it up more or, or he wants to keep it kind of straight and grooving. So I, I think it's, it could either be a verbal conversation or you just kind of hear it. Like, is is this guy looking to break right. it up more or is he want me just to keep time so he can do his thing over top? So if if you venture into the playing the skip notes on one and three to flip the pattern, Ian suggests that you surround that with quarter notes. So you're not doing one, a two, a three. You're doing one, two, a three, four, a one, two, three, a four. So you're adding a quarter note before any time you flip it. So again, that... that keeps you locked in so you're not just playing like a shuffle pattern all of a sudden a full shuffle um so anyway check out his videos i'm i'm 
I'm doing a as tight of a synopsis as I can, but if you hear him do it and demonstrate it and kind of talk about it a little bit more, it it starts to make a lot of sense. And and the goal is to not sound like you're just making noise and randomly changing your pattern and right. making sure you're yeah. always keeping track of the four four and always respecting the two and the four. That's all really important. Yeah, I've seen drummers too default into things they didn't even know they defaulted to. I, I, a good example of this in a non-swing thing is when you think you're playing inverted paradiddles, but you jumped back to standard paradiddles. Mm-hmm. But you don't hear it because it's just it's just something your hands are programmed to do. But I've heard people start to mess with the ride, and then before they know it, they're literally playing a shuffle. Yeah. But they don't know it. But they're like, oh, my hand feels good. And it's like, yeah, because you've played that groove a thousand times too. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to... I agree. I think it starts with quarter notes, then swing, and then slightly breaking it up, but making sure you know that you really know what you're doing. Like, and it depends once again on who you're playing with. The freedom that I have if I sit in at a jazz jam, you know, it's like how selfish do I want to be and make this about myself, or am I just trying to make the song feel good for the night? Because we're at a coffee shop and there's eight people here. Yeah, like yeah, to, that's a good it's point. Not a clinic. You don't want to be the hippest guy on stage. I don't. Th- I think that's no. not a good tactic. To be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to out hip everyone here with my broken. And up if you want to be the hippest guy on stage, then form your own band. You <laughs> right. know, there's nothing, and I'm not, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I never default Weckle for taking a solo in every song in the Dave Weckle band. It's like, right, it's your band, yeah. whatever the hell you want. So, you no, know, that said, awesome. I think you could transfer this over to if you're playing straight patterns that have like a one and a two and a three and a four and a one. Oh, for sure, like funk That's fusion great, great kind point. of things. You could apply yeah. the same ideas to that if you just want to break out of having that constant ostinato and yeah for me it's a mentality of getting away from thinking of you know the kick and snare it's really the the ride symbol becomes the focus so then the leader that tactic yeah. for me for me is good for creating like these flowing grooves and ever evolving grooves where the ride symbol is controlling everything the snare is kind of playing a subservient role to that and the kick is kind of right. supporting that so yeah, if you're playing any kind of fusion with that pattern i think you could do the same thing that's great, man. Awesome. Well, I do have a quick question for you yep. about swing since I'm not a jazz drummer. One thing I, I never know when I'm playing time in a jazz situation on a mixing board scale, where do you think most musicians, and I'm not talking big band, this is kind of where things got screwed up for me was I started in big band, but where do you think most musicians want the volume of the left foot to be? Is it supposed to be under the ride or is it like a solid chick that is like just clanging through as a timekeeper or how does the left foot fit into this? That's a good question. It depends Volume on wise. depends on the gig. Like you said, if you're okay. if you're playing with more like a, a driving organ trio, then that left foot kind of needs a chomp. And I would think like Art Blakey, like he's chomping, playing the backbeat that keeps everyone kind of rolling. But if you're playing kind of more modern contemporary jazz, maybe with a pianist or a guitarist, um, I always think of it as the ride cymbal is the loudest instrument. Okay. And the, the hi-hat has to sit right under that or right at it. The bass drum needs to sit below that. Snare drum needs to sit below that, which is gotcha. a, it's, it's a huge – I mean, if you've never thought of it that way, the, the ride cymbal can only get so loud. The snare drum can get really freaking loud. So your comping has to be way underneath that by comparison. And if you're going from a rock band world where your bass player, your guitar player says, man, I can't hear that snare, you got to get in on that thing. Yep. You know – and then you do the opposite. It's like, well, let me bring down the hats that are cutting through too much and really get kick and snare on top of this thing. Yeah. So the mixing board thing I think would be something fun for us to talk about in the future of 
let's talk Brazilian music. Now, where do these instruments sit? Let's talk Cuban yeah. music. Let's talk jazz, rock, funk, because they all have a different leader as far as, you know, not just who's driving the pattern, but who's driving the volume. And I always think too, like, well, what is the listener paying attention to? If I'm playing a funk groove, they're not paying attention to my open hi-hat on the end of four. They just need that kick and snare. As long, yeah. I mean, I could stop playing the hi-hat and they'd be fine. Yeah, um, it's true. I, actually, Ed, so, Ed Shaughnessy talked about this in his clinic because when he was with the Tonight Show band, he had to do all everything, rock, funk, sure. jazz. So one of his diagrams, I think he used like a pie graph, but I kind of visualize it better as a pyramid and a reverse pyramid. So if you have a regular mm-hmm. pyramid with the point at the top, that's your funk, rock, backbeat sort of balance so the hi-hat is the smallest piece the left foot is the i mean the uh snare would be the middle piece and the bass drum would be the biggest piece so bass drum loudest snare drum second loudest hi-hat third it flips for jazz so the biggest piece of the pyramid is the ride cymbal and the hi-hat and then it's snare and bass drum gotcha yeah that's great helped me kind of visualize it well we'll dive into it more on another day but for now it's time to talk about our featured artist, and that is the Nationals' Brian Devendorf. Oof, hope I got that right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay, so you went and saw this band. I did. I saw them on Friday in Queens at the, uh, used to be the U.S. Open Tennis Stadium. Like back nice. in the day before they, they built their new ones, it was over in Flushing, Queens. Outdoor venue, beautiful night. Got to see you know the New York sky, uh, skyline in the background while they were playing. Really cool. The National, uh, that, I hate the term indie rock because the, once you become successful and people start investing in you, you're no longer indie in my mind, but right they've kind of just been It's the sound of what rock. we consider to be indie rock. Yeah, so it, it's kind of art, artsy um, you know, kind of lyrically smart and crafty, but this band is cool f- for me because it's it's. If you took away the drums, it would sound like really mellow, kind of like almost like spoken yeah. word music. <laughs> but, yeah, but the drumming really is sublime so much. So it was it was cool to see him live because I've been listening to his records forever. I um, mean, his, his tones are always cool. He's always getting a range of kind of fat, dark sounds. Yeah, um, and his his parts are really crafty by the way he is featured in the november issue as well so if you want to read more about him and his approach that's a lot of it's there but from what i observed uh he's really smart and crafty like everything he plays i feel like he's thought about what he's going to do like down to the when he hits the crashes like he doesn't hit a crash just randomly it's always for some sort of very specific purpose it's almost like he probably would hate this comparison but it's like he's the Neil Peart of indie rock, <laughs> you know, oh, where his parts are just so that thought out. out and planned. I doubt that he improvises a ton because the, they're just so the arrangements are so tight. Uh, but yeah. it's all very cool and very smart. Uh, and the sounds are cool. And he also doesn't hit. I mean, they were playing a big outdoor tennis stadium, probably. I think max capacity was like 15,000 people, maybe. Oh, wow. Not hitting hard not hitting hard at all so that was cool right. just to see how he was focused on getting the right sound and playing with the right feel and not smashing the drums Man. to try to project how much how much trust does that take i mean as two people that have done small shows and huge shows i never had the trust to not hit hard as the venue got bigger and bigger right you know yeah i never and and it's like i 
my brain knows there's mics on my drums. My brain knows there's a front of house guy. That front of house guy would love for me to get perfect tones out of my drums so he could turn the volume up. (laughs) But I don't trust it. So I hit the hell out of the drums and obliterate them. And I always marvel at the people, you know, like Brian that just say, dude, I got, I got a sound guy. If he wants more snare, he can turn the damn thing up. Yeah. You know, it's like, ah, I always think of, um, I can never remember his name, but the drummer from Radiohead. Um, yeah, Phil very Selway. Similar. It's very similar. Yeah. I think I think Phil hits a lot even lighter than Brian, but yeah, very similar. Right. Just trusting, and, and I think the focus is on getting the right tone. I mean, if you're putting right, you know, a T-shirt over your snare drum, you've got to hit it a certain way, as opposed to when you're playing a cranked up snare with no muffling on it. It's to- totally right. different beasts. Uh, actually, what struck me the most was the, his cymbal sound. Like when he hit a cymbal crash, it was like. Damn, that was like symphonic. It was perfect. Like that's funny that you you said the word symphonic. When I see him play, it just it reminds me of the way that you have to craft parts. You know, when you get your sheet music and you're reading it, and then you see like a cymbal crash, it shows up once every three hundred bars, right? And, and you're like, okay, this right. this dude, this composer, really wants that crash there. Um, and probably not only does he want that crash there, he or she, but they probably want it to be a specific way that it's crashed because yeah. they hear it in their head. And when I watch him play, it feels like that. And he just sits there holding the groove, supporting the singer. Um, I see him as the kind of drummer that's probably never made the singer turn around and look at him like, what the funky climate <laughs> just happened back there? Right. Like, I feel like it's like, okay, cool. Because the singer's going deep, yeah. right? He's not yeah. trying to be pop star guy. So... You better have a drummer that really supports you and just in their mind is saying, bro, I have you. I have your back. Nothing will go wrong while I'm here. And that's, I mean, I can't imagine any musician that wouldn't want to play with a, a drummer like Brian. Yeah, you know? it was cool. And, and the way he chose his gear, like his left side crash was kind of the bright kind of lightning strike crash, but it was still beautiful. Yeah. It was a Istanbul Agop that I've got to figure out what it was because it sounded so good. But it had that like classic bright shimmery crash. But then he had another one that was kind of more trashy. But he, you know, it was it was obvious that he chose them and he's hitting them exactly at the right spot. He's not just I'm on the right side of the kit, so let me hit that crash. He's he's choosing which one to hit very strategically. It was cool. It was a good show. Um, it, the band, I mean, it's it's kind of a more thoughtful. It's not a rock band, even though they call it an indie rock. It's not really a rock band. It's kind of a little bit more. Uh, theatrical in a way more dramatic yeah. it's like dramatic it's almost like soundtrack music i uh, can see them playing like now i do not follow this band i don't know anything about them but just watching them play a little bit today i'm like i could see them out with arcade fire or yeah, other bands exactly. of that ilk that are very theatrical yeah. um but thoughtful the other thing <clears throat> excuse me that i like about his playing is that it has a little bit of uh, what you and I kind of got into in the first place with Matt Chamberlain, where they're parts rather than beats and fills, you know? And yeah, I was showing a bunch of the campers, like some old Fiona Apple stuff yesterday. And they were like, dude, this is like cutting edge. And the campers didn't know who she was. Oh, and I no was like, kidding. yeah, well, this is 96. <laughs> so this is 21 years ago, bro. You know? Um, so and I'm like, and that's, you know, and then, and then that took us down the Matt Chamberlain rabbit hole. And I was like, and here's Tori Amos. And now here's Sarah Borales only three years ago uh, yeah. with him. And so, yeah, I could, I could see this stuff kind of happening. So is he a CNC artist? I think so. I mean, I don't know what the official status is, but he was using a CNC kit uh, with two snares. His main snare was like super dead and, and that kind of fat sound. And he had a side snare that was a little bit nice. tighter. 
uh, in Istanbul, agop cymbals. Um, yeah, kind of what you would awesome. think for that that type of sound. Well, guys, if you want to see a really great video of Brian playing with his band, you know, I currently it's almost like recordings. Like now, instead of having to have crystal clear recordings, I'm looking for crystal clear videos where I can really see what's happening. Right. So there's a great, great super HD video on uh, YouTube, and it's just literally titled the National slash um, or hyphen uh, Graceless, and uh, it's it's their performance from Saturday Night Live. So it sounds fantastic. Awesome. The, Filming is amazing, and unlike other live shows, Brian is actually featured. It's not like, uh, yeah, we don't have a drummer. Don't worry about what's going on back there. It's like he's got lights on him. You can see his uh, gray CNC kit, and and the the sound is fantastic. So definitely check out um, Brian and his playing with the National. All right, time for some candy. Yeah, it's your turn. I don't have, I don't get to wax hey, poetic about my love of snare drums this week. It's all you. <laughs> oh, I got a, I got a problem. It got worse. Lou brought the thing I never wanted anyone to bring here. Uh, since he got to drive down, he brought his uh, fourteen by five Black Beauty with him. Oh no! I've purposely, really, since like my twenties, never played a Black Beauty because I don't, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> it's like I don't want to know. Oh God, it sounded so good. We threw it on the kit last night for the shed, and like all of my campers were instantly session drummers. Like the yeah. snare sounded so good. I'm like, ah, oh, thing sucks. Get it out of here. Um, so we are not talking about a Black Beauty. Um, oh, and by the way, and then like uh, somebody said, like, well, dude, you're playing an A and F. Why can't you just play a Black Beauty? I was like, oh, wait a minute. Let me tell you the threat level that. <laughs> that would have like a and f gretch is like hey you're flirting with another girl no big deal i throw a black beauty on i'm getting kicked off the roster yeah, right like, <laughs> y'all put your phones away no one's taking a picture of that on my kit that is like the god of snare drums anyways um let's talk about a different snare drum so there's a company called drummaker.com and it's a place where you can order your own shells you can order your own lugs you can order your own rims it's a place for you to custom build your own drums you can get wood drums and everything and um, I've ordered single flange that's where I'd always gotten my single flanged hoops and claws from and they're always easy to deal with so drummaker.com is a company well when I went to Nashville I had talked about this on the podcast before Andy Foote the owner of drummaker.com he actually has his own place there um, that he's sharing with Bryson Nelson so it's he's got his shop and then Bryson has all the vintage stuff and so he's calling that drum supply. That's what the company is going to be called. And so he's taking these same parts that he's been selling to people forever. And now he's building his own drums and slightly tweaking them to make them slightly custom. And so I saw right when I walked in, I saw this gorgeous baby blue aluminum snare drum with single flanged hoops and claws and tube lugs. And I am a sucker for vintage looking drums that are new. Mm -hmm. You give me tube lugs, single flanged hoops and some claws. I don't even need to hit it. I'm just like, swipe the card. I want that. I just love the way they look. So this is a 14 by 5 aluminum snare. And when I picked it up, this was the... If you need to gig, this is the snare. This thing weighs like half of a pound because it's single flange tubes, <laughs> claws, and it's an aluminum shell. Uh, so I would assume that this shell is extremely similar to like an Acrolyte. So the main difference is you've got the tube lugs. It's letting the drum breathe a little bit more. Uh, you've got the single flange hoops and the claws, letting the drums spray a little bit more. And it's just got like an old uh, vintage Ludwig throw. So he said, okay, well, you know, you're filming a bunch of videos. If you want to film with that snare, go for it. So I played it and it just sounded fantastic. And you and I had also talked about the fact that 
the only aluminum snare I have for reference is a solid aluminum snare. It's yeah. a Gretsch USA Custom totally Solid different. Aluminum. Yeah. It's its own beast. It's literally – I used to call it Alley. Like I'd take her everywhere with me. It's a fantastic drum. But it's not what we consider to be an aluminum rolled snare. Mm-hmm. So this is that. So I really said, OK, well, I'm going to buy this snare because I want my students to have uh, a, a reference for what aluminum sounds like. I have no idea how he got the color to be the way it is because it's not anodized and it's not painted. So I don't know. He had one in a dark emerald green that was gorgeous. And then the one I got was the baby blue. Uh, the drum, I will say, uh, before we listen to it, it's dry. That's what aluminum does. It doesn't have a bunch of twang to it. The drum you're about to hear has stock heads on it. So it's a single ply coated head on top and just your standard head on the bottom. So that sounds like an aluminum snare to me, which is right. Which I think is my default. Like what I want a snare drum to sound like, an aluminum snare. It just has that. I actually heard a nice. great description. Um, I just interviewed Chris Carhart from Fantagram for an upcoming issue, and he's using an aluminum snare. And he said the uh, Jeremy at Q Drums described it as being powdery. Aluminum snares have a powdery oh. sound. Oh, and that was that's perfect. A new, that's a new adjective. I love perfect. that. Perfect. I just pictured yeah. like you hit it and just just dry white powder coming <laughs> flying off of it. Totally, <laughs> totally. Oh, I could so I could so see like some artsy producer putting like powdered sugar on your snare drum <laughs> right before the take. He's like, look, I just need this one thing, and this is how I muffle my snares is with powder. Um, no, totally. It has that thing. Uh, it's very sensitive, but it's not. It's not up in that high frequency that's so snappy, yeah. you know. So yeah. you hear the snares, but it's a little. For me, uh, and and I might be wrong, but you know, we all have different ears. This is the bridge between a wood drum and a and a brass drum. It just kind of, yeah. it you know. And I, I'm talking about like a dark wood drum with some rounded bearing edges type yeah. thing. Um, and but it's very. So this is a ten lug drum. Very powdery, if you will, <laughs> and um, but I I really love the low tuning range. It just yeah. goes so low, and it never has any twang to it at the low tunes. I have no no muffling on this drum whatsoever. So yeah, I mean, it's, I think aluminum sound might be the best for that low sound. I think of everything yeah. I've tried because it, it has enough kind of high end kind of brightness that it just doesn't sound like you're hitting the, a cardboard box. But right. it's dry is a tough one for me to use to describe it i guess it is dry but it just feels transparent is kind of how i describe yeah. it. yeah and you know what i want out of a low tune drum is i want smack yeah. i want it to sound like i over compressed it when i didn't right right um, right i want that smack out of the drum i don't need it to last for an hour and so for a 14 by 5 um to sound as i like veer off the mic to look to make sure it's not a five and a half um <laughs> For a 14 by 5 to give me that low ballady snare, it, it's just awesome. So the one thing I will say about this, uh, just so you guys know the price, I paid $425 for it. That's There's no bro deal. Um, it, that was That is the price that he's selling it at at the shop. Um, 
and I, I just didn't want any kind of hookup. It's like, no, I, I really do want to just buy this because I'm not – I wasn't planning on doing a review or doing any promotion for them. So it's like, well, then I'm a customer. Let me swipe the card uh, and then deal with the wife later. <laughs> so with that drum, uh, the one thing that I love about it is – it sounds like it's supposed to sound. And yeah. I feel like I got a great representation of, of, an, of an aluminum snare. So when my students ask and they're here at camp, like, hey, what's the difference between brass and aluminum? Now I can say, oh, cool, let's go grab them and record them both. You know? Right, right. Um, and then uh, I'll just steal Lou's Black Beauty and we'll be all good. So. <laughs> but I can tell you this. The one thing that Black Beauty doesn't do is it doesn't sound like an aluminum snare drum. It's not supposed to. That's why we don't all just own one snare drum. That's true. So. Yeah. Definitely uh, check out um, Andy Foot over at drummaker.com, or you can also check out uh, his place with Bryson Nelson, uh, the Drum Supply House. So cool stuff. All right, let's get to some questions, buddy. All right, our first one comes from Matthew. Um, I've just become privy to the idea that while tuning drums, you could tap the shell of the drum to get an idea of its fundamental pitch and then tune the heads mm. to that pitch. My question is, how important is it for a well-balanced sounding drum to be tuned to this pitch and does it make tuning easier to do uh, okay so. let me ask you did you know about this before john good no no it, I, I did think, not either i mean i've definitely come across like sets of times where one drum just won't go low enough as in comparison to the other drums um, yeah maybe it was just a different batch of wood and, and it had you know just a higher fundamental uh, i have tried that technique maybe I don't do it anymore. Years ago, when I first heard about it, I was like, let me see what my premieres, where they are, and actually like sharpied the note of each drum inside. Oh, really? Okay. But to say that I've ever tuned to that note, no, I don't think so. Uh, so, yeah, I guess we could be argued one way or the other by people who know more, but I don't think it's really that important. I think you just need to tune your drums so they sing as, you know, as unencumbered as possible and so they match well with one another. I, yeah. I find it hard to. I mean, I, I found out about this technique in high school, and my my teacher at the time, Mike Shepard, he's he's an old school, you know, skeptic kind of of, of all, all things technology, and he was like, "Yeah, but are, if this if this drum set is tuned to the key of D, what happens when you play in C sharp? I mean, right? right. <laughs> are the drums all of a sudden not going to be useful? So, yeah, and I don't think so. It might be just a cool experiment to kind of see what happens with your drums, but. I don't freak about, out about that kind of stuff personally. Yeah, I think um, from being a DW artist and talking to John about this, I think it's actually more for DW to ensure that they're sending out a set of drums that are meant to be a set rather than here's a 10 and six weeks later we made a 12 right. from a totally different batch of wood and it'll be fine because it's a 10 and a 12. So it was. I was always told the reason they do that is they're doing it for themselves and when they're picking shells to make your custom kit, they need to see what's stamped on the inside to make sure that your drum set kind of works with itself. And so it's not for you to necessarily tune your drums to that pitch. Um, it's so that your drums, you know, you don't want to have a low pitched and low timbre. Is it timbre or timber? Timbre. Timber. Timber is wood. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> but but because the damn drums would, I always get confused. I don't know why I'm yelling at you. I'm not mad at you. You seem nice. Um, I, think so we, you we, have, I think this might be a record. We've said damn now four times, I think, in one episode. I even threw an ass in there earlier. I'm in a little bit of trouble. I'm going to tell the wife not to listen to this one. Um, but yeah, you don't want to have like a really low timbre 
10 inch Tom and then a super high tamered wood for the 12 inch Tom. And then they just don't really want to do the descending thing very well. So I think that from what I remember, that's why DW does that. And then if it helps you, that's fine, but you don't have to worry about tuning your drums to the pitch that's inside the shell. Okay. So the next one is from Will. Uh, he says, I have, I have a band with a really, with really great musicians and our rhythm guitar player also plays drums. As a band, we've been writing new songs, and we talked about doing some two-drummer stuff. I just wanted to get to ask you guys if you think it's worth it to do the two-drummer thing. Um, <clears throat> says, I know it could be a hassle with gigging, having two drum sets on stage. So, yeah, just asking our thoughts. Uh, I think you could kind of split the difference and not have two full drum sets. Get, get like, some toms and a snare drum or, or a just a, bass, a second bass drum. I think the bass drum is going to be what causes the logistic nightmare. Yeah. So if maybe yeah. maybe get a cocktail that's a, set up for the second guy. That's a tough thing, man. I mean, the other thing too is like, uh, you know, uh, JP Bouvet's band, or uh, that that one of the bands he's in with, uh, it's just called Drew of the Drew. But you know, they have uh, Ian and JP both playing full drum sets, and and sometimes they're playing grooves mm. at the same time. And I'm like, my God, how do you not have those snares just flaming a little bit? I mean, it's so much work. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely ask whoever's pushing for this. Is it possible to get away with samples to fill in this noise, not drum samples, but percussive samples that are slightly tweaked. So just fill in whatever they feel that they're missing. But you know, there's, I mean, there's no wrong way to be in a band. Yeah. You gotta true. do whatever works and whatever makes the art that you're trying to make. Yeah. And if you, I mean, if you take, if you examine some of the bands that have two drummers, like the Allman Brothers or the Grateful Dead, one guy's playing the groove and the other guy's kind of playing more of a percussive role. So right. it's Absolutely. very rarely that they're both just pounding out the drum beats together. It's pretty rare that anyone in the band is like, I wish there was two of you doing <laughs> yeah. that. Could you both hit crashes on the one every other bar? That'd be great. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not feeling enough kick drum when I walk to this side of the stage. Could you just get another person to do it? So yeah, I, I would say if it's something that needs to be, <laughs> be achieved for the art you're going for, then go for it. I but, need uh, double the rim shots. Please double the rim shots. <laughs> All right, next question comes from Can Matt. Can you both drag this whole verse? <laughs> And play a lot of fills, you know, that really don't work yeah. together at all. You play triplets, yeah. you play sixteenths. At the same time. <laughs> so I guess no, we're not really fans of it. They're now they're, yeah, <laughs> if you go see now the the uh what is it, Tedeschi Trucks band has two amazing drummers. So I think that's a a newer it's band. Something that can be done. Yeah, yeah. and they they re, but you have to be really empathetic for one another. You have to you can't just Agreed. wail. Um yeah. And I, for me, unless you're playing on a big stage where you have your own crew and your own rig, I just it's no way I could ever have a band in New York City and be like, hey, we've got two drummers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not tonight. <laughs> yeah, not anymore, you don't. You have one drummer and a driver. <laughs> All right, next question comes from Matt. He says, lately, while playing my kit, I've been developing a cramp between my thumb and index finger. Do you think Ooh, this, that's such a common cramp? Do you think this could be from improper warm up or just a technique problem with my fulcrum? How do you suggest fixing it? Uh, well, first of all, I'm going to try to interrupt you every time you ask a question. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I just like that cramp is such the common cramp. Like we yeah. all know that weird little muscle between our thumb and our first finger, yeah. and it's like, ah, how do I build that thing up? Because he's always mad at me. That's just gripping too tight, honestly. Yeah, too tight. It's probably because you're getting tired because you haven't. Maybe warm. I mean, I have kind of re uh, re embraced the warm up routine. Like I've, Ooh, I thought you were about to say wearing gloves. No, I was no, come no. To this computer and no, tackle you. No, no. Although I have had to do that on occasion. But, 
No, just the, the. I know that if I don't like, if I don't play drums at all for the entire day and go straight to the gig, I know my hands are going to feel like bricks, and I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to be squeezing the stick to compensate. So, stretching, warming up would help. I also think it's just a lot more practice time. It's kind of like for me the when I have a, a you know a young student who gets or a, a young in their career, they get cramps in their shin. It's because those muscles just aren't totally. used to doing that. You just have to. <laughs> Think of every movement you make on the drum set and then try to find a, that movement in day-to-day life. When <laughs> ever do you flick your foot back and forth like in day-to-day life? When do you take your, you know, the, the three pads of your fingers and then and then push them to the palm of your hand? Yeah, I don't wave like this. I know none of you of can times. see what I'm doing, but, but I don't wave like this and go me 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 me. So, yeah, I mean you have to get in drum shape and that's why you know, I've had we've uh, had the question on the podcast about, hey, how physically fit do I have to be to play drums? And it's like, oh, you don't. You could literally be three hundred pounds overweight. You need to be in drum shape. I've yeah, got it's different. You know, people that when visibly, I'd be like, oh, well, you're not in very good shape, and then they're in better drum shape than I'll ever be in because that's what they do. They work out those muscles. Yeah. So, um, not that we're promoting being in bad shape, but there is. There's fitness and then there's drum shape. And honestly, it just sounds like your hands just aren't quite in drum shape yet. More pad time and then relax that grip and you'll be fine. I think uh, another point to consider might be drumstick size because I know if I use small sticks, I end up squeezing them too much and it causes problems. So maybe you need to go slightly bigger stick or a maple stick if it's too heavy. I was just going to say that. Yeah, you you know, you can get up into a 5B or even a 2B and maple and it'll feel like a 5A weight-wise. So definitely look yeah. into maple, and a lot of the companies are making maple sticks now. All right, we got time for one more. Like Vader. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sugar, maple. Oh, man. Okay. Goodness gracious. Yeah, one quick one. All right, this, this, is, this is a quick one. This one I could – yeah, this should be quick. This is coming from Alvin. Um, I don't know if this is a serious question or if he just wants us to make a comment on it. So – when playing or testing the drum set, what's the hardest that you should hit it? I was at a drum show and mm. someone hitting a custom kit so hard that the owner of the company had to keep coming over and repositioning the mountain toms as they kept rotating down. Does one wow. benefit from hitting the drums this hard or is it overkill? I, I think it's a rhetorical question, but we might as well weigh in on it. <laughs> uh, overkill? <laughs> Dude, I mean, how that could is, you do uh, that at a custom show and like... Oh, that's like I could never, never come back kind of situation. Yeah. I, I always feel bad using a stick in general. I'm like <laughs> tapping it with my finger and leaning down to hear the tone of the drum. And I'm like, and then I, I literally will always ask the owner, like, sir, is it okay if I hit this? And then I, I always have one stick with me instead of two. And I just kind of tap around the drums a little bit. But I would say a nice mezzo forte volume gives me pretty much all I need to know about that drum. Yeah. I mean, I think to, to try to actually a- answer this with some 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 <laughs> subjectivity if you're serious about buying that kit, then play it as if you're going to play it. Because there could be, sure. like, say you go to a drum show and they have an a awesome 1965 vintage kit. And, but you play in a metal band. And that that mm. Rectom mount is not going to hold that drum while you're wailing in your metal band. Right. But I think I mean, in that case, you do have to tell the owner, like, sir... Like, be respectful and say, sir, I'm honestly thinking about buying this kit, but I'm a heavy hitter. Can I, can I for 30 seconds just beast on this kit? I'm really considering buying it. Yeah. That's a little different than just sitting down and being, and just throwing down your chops so that everyone <laughs> at the convention looks over at you. Yeah. Cause that is what everyone at NAM talks about when you're not there is, did you see that guy? 
Like what? Yeah. The, what the heck do you think this is? And in, in today's day and age, get ready. You're about to be the video that shows up on YouTube of like that guy at Nam. Like man, oh, somebody just sent me a video of a of a cat like probably in his late seventies at like it seemed like some sort of bar mitzvah gig, and he's ripping chops over this like little um, polka. Ripping chops, and the band's just staring at him like he's out of his mind. I got to send you the video. It's 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 actually quite awesome. So yeah, you don't want to show up on YouTube like that. So always be respectful to the gear, and you'll be good. All right, buddy, you ready for uh, picks of the week? I'm ready. You want to go first or me? Uh, I'll go first since I'm going to take the trophy for Metro pick of the year. All right, all right, guys, let's talk about your skin. <laughs> Do you make videos? Yeah? you have lights in front of you? Well, your skin's going to be reflective and slightly oily. How do you handle that oily skin when you live in a moist place like Nashville? You're going to want to get the clean and clear oil-absorbing sheets. Don't worry. They're portable. What? (laughs) Yeah. Take a look at that, Dawson. Oh, wow. So those are like wipes. They're little, okay, they're little wipes, and they're, they're literally, I've seen them on every photo shoot, like pro photo shoot I've ever done, and I finally just asked, what are those? And I'm like, oh, that's just, they just literally absorb all the oil on the top layer of your skin without having to wash your face or anything, and they show the oil on the wipe. It sounds kind of gross, but you know you're done wiping your face when no more oil shows up on the wipe. The like the wipe itself is like a baby blue color. It's a really thin like almost piece of paper, but it turns dark blue when it contacts oil. Uh. So you just wipe your forehead and wipe your nose and everything, and then you're not going to look reflective when the lights are in your face and you're shooting videos. So for somebody like me that's shooting videos almost all day, uh, having a pack of these, you can get it like Rite Aid, uh, and there's like – jeez. There's 50 sheets in one pack for like $3. Oh, wow. Okay. It's just it's just worth it. And then especially when I travel and I show up to a place that has this thing called humidity, which is rough. So, I mean, I'm either in like Nashville with humidity, you know, sweating, or I'm in Sacramento in the middle of summer and I'm trying to film a video and it's 110 degrees outside. So I know it sounds kind of funny, but I really think if you're making a lot of video content that everyone should have just a pack of these around their studio, they're just called the clean and clear oil absorbing sheets. So is that replacing like the powder, like photography? Yeah, exactly. So instead of putting more stuff on top of my face, which then causes me to like sweat more because I feel like I've got like this blanket of crap on my face. This just takes care of that. Dig it. All right. Well, my my pick is not that. (laughs) (laughs) And it never will be. But you know what? I'm going to go buy some of those because I'm really – because I use – I'm going to go show my metro side. I use coconut oil as a moisturizer Mm. because other – It will build up throughout the day as it releases It doesn't – it kind of stays there all day and it Mm -hmm. it kind of gets a little little shiny. So all my videos, I'm like, man, I look like a bowling ball. It's kind of – Gross. Yeah, buddy. I, you'll you'll love these. All right. So I'll get a pack of those. And what my pick of the week is, I um, oh got it. might have been six months ago, I reviewed the Dixon Little Rumor Kit. Do you remember that? It was like a floor tom, yeah. rack tom with like a, a, a remote bass drum pedal that hit the bottom of the floor tom. Yeah. Super cool. cool. I had a ton of fun with it. I, I'm hesitant to use that on gigs. Just I'm not sure what to expect with that type of setup. So they actually added a bass drum to that setup. It's a 7 by 20 bass drum. So you can get the whole kit with the bass drum, uh, or you can just buy the bass drum separate. And I'm picking the bass drum. It's a 7x20 bass drum, natural 
maple looking shell. I've taken it to two gigs, local bar club gigs, and a, and a bunch of rehearsals, and everyone is flipping out about it. It sounds really. It sounds like a tiny John Bonham bass drum. Like it. Oh, that's awesome. It doesn't sound small. It just sounds contained. So rather than taking like a twenty six and having it boom forever, it has all that kind of airy fatness, but it's compact and it. It performs wow. like a twenty, and I can fit it in the front seat of my car, and I can right. carry it into the into the club with one hand, and it's not super loud. And I'm sure it also, if in a rehearsal or whatever, or even a recording situation, I'm sure it's killer miked. Yeah, well, that's what the the singer this the, this one cover band I'm working with. He has a bunch of original projects, and one of them was like a kraut rock kind of experimental thing. And he's like, that mm-hmm. bass drum has to be on the record. That sounds exactly like what I want this to sound wow. like. Wow. He just flipping out about it. I'm like, it's just a little bass drum, dude, but flipping out about it. So That's so cool, man. Hopefully it's available um, currently. I think it's a brand new item that was debuted at Summer Nam. It's the Dixon 7x20 um, Little Rumor bass drum. I don't know the price because I think it's brand new, but it's... 7x20, that is awesome. I mean, I can carry the, the bass drum, snare drum, and cymbal bag in, in one trip easily into the club. That's so Super cool. cool. The club. Nice. So that's my pick. Like I said, Mike and I are always clubbing. <laughs> all right, everybody. Have a fantastic week. Uh, and also, to all of you listeners out there, there's always this four or five month time where I'm doing drum camps just nonstop. I do 10 drum camps over the course of the summer, and they're a week long, and they honestly are, are quite intense for me. So if my attention has been a little all over the place for the last, you know, 20 episodes of the podcast just know that i apologize and this is my last camp of the year so i'm really looking forward to putting more of my focus on this podcast and uh, getting more into it so uh mr dawson thank you for being the anchor for the last uh batch of episodes and getting me through this and now we will only cover uh phil collins and (laughs) Gretsch drums and other <laughs> snare drums. All right. Everybody, if you like the podcast, please review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. Also, if there is a place that you would rather get our podcast compared to where you're getting it from, always let us know. Just write mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Mike and I are honestly quite new to podcasting, so we don't know a ton about this stuff. So you can always let us know, hey, I wish your podcast was on this uh, resource and we will try everything we can to make that happen. And a reminder, if you're really seriously interested in a possible drum camp, let us know because we are, can't move forward until we have at least 85% confirmation from some people. So Yeah, absolutely. So, All right, buddy. We'll have an awesome week and I'm going to go try to inspire some folks. All right. See ya. Later, brother.